Bibles, if you would please, this morning, First Kings chapter 19. Wonderful, wonderful. And let's all stand to our feet as we read the Word of God this morning. First Kings chapter number 19. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. First Kings chapter 19 and verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked and Behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to hearts this morning. And Lord, please speak through me. Lord, I pray that you would anoint this message with power from on high. I pray that you would help those that are hurting. I pray that you would encourage those that are down. I pray that you would save the soul that is nearest, nearest hell. And Lord, I, I pray that you would please, in every way, help this weak vessel. I know that if anything is going to be done in the hearts of your people, it has to be done by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we yield this service to you. I, I beg you, please that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, with power from on high. Guide my thoughts and my speech. Help me to preach your word the way that you would have it to be preached and nothing else. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. You ever find yourself in a place in life where, as Elijah said in verse number 4, you just want to say, it is enough. It's enough. Now, one of the amazing things about this statement coming from Elijah in 1 Kings 19.4 is that when we read there in verse number 1, we see that Ahab told Jezebel, his wicked wife, and the queen of that country all that Elijah had done. And with all, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. The prophets that were slain were the prophets of Baal. Remember the story, not the story, but the 
historical record that is given to us here in 1 Kings about how Elijah was called of God to speak against Ahab and Jezebel and their sin and the wicked godlessness of Israel as they were worshiping other gods. And he sends them out, or should I say, God sends Elijah out to withstand Baal and the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal was nothing but a false idol, but they worshiped that false idol as if it was real. And remember the story as Elijah said, let's have a little contest. Essentially, let's see what will happen if God will... Uh, if, if, if my God, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, is the one that is the real God, or if Baal is the real God. So he devises and concocts this plan. He says, why don't you all set up an altar and get all of your prophets of Baal together, and, and you all call upon Baal and see if he will consume the gifts on the altar of sacrifice. And so uh, they did so, and the Bible tells us that uh, they, for hours upon hours, they uh, prayed for Baal and danced for Baal and cut themselves and cried out unto him and he never shows up and Elijah begins to even mock them. You know, like any good kind-hearted, um, meek and, and sweet and never saying anything pointed or straight kind of preacher that you might hear today. No, Elijah starts to mock him and he says, oh, hey, I, I know what's going on. Your God is on vacation. He just, you know... He went off for a little while on vacation. You read it, that's what he says. He's on a little trip. He just can't hear you right now. In one point, Elijah actually says, he's probably in the bathroom. That's what he really says. He's covering his feet. <laughs> he has fallen asleep. That's why he's not responding to you. He has fallen asleep. So he mocks them for a little while. They don't get anything accomplished. And after they've cut themselves and made fools of themselves, they, they've torn down the altar in their vigor to try to get a hold of their false god. Elijah comes out and he says, pour barrels of water on the altar. Alright, do it again. Alright, do it again. And he pours barrels of water on the altar to the extent that it's flowing over the sides and filling up the ditch that they dug around the altar. And then he prays to the only one and true God. And he says, if you are the one and only true God, prove it to these people. The Bible says that fire came down from heaven and not only consumed the offering on the altar, but the fire was so hot and God was so thorough in His act that it consumed even the altar itself. Israel then, by the power of God, sees my soul. We have, been, we have been going after this other God and we know He's not true and we know He's not real. We shouldn't be worshiping Him like that. And so they repent and they decide, you know what, you do whatever you want. So Elijah himself declares all the prophets of Baal should be slain. So he kills them all. A few hundred of them. Well, Jezebel, the wicked queen who had been worshiping with those prophets of Baal in a very lewd style of worship, is angry that Elijah has, by the power of God, done such a great work. So, it's amazing to note that one of Elijah's quitting times, where he said it is enough, came right after, right after, one of the most positive and powerful times in his life. It's good to know, isn't it, that even a prophet of God has great ups and downs. 
It's good to know that Elijah, the Bible says he was a man like you and I are. He was a man subject to like passions. He was, he was real. He was, he was human. And even though we saw such an amazing act of God by the hands of Elijah, now he finds himself discouraged. And you know, I've heard some preachers throw him under the bus and in some ways and say, well, you know, that, that guy, he's got God on his side and, and, and she's just a woman, you know, he shouldn't be afraid of a woman. Afraid of a woman, she's the queen of the nation, she has the power of the military at her hands. If she says, go kill Elijah, they can kill him. I'd be afraid of that woman too. This, this came to mind. My wife's uh, pastor, Dr. Gomez, he's an old... He, He's an old Louisiana boy, grew up in the swamps and, and, and did a whole bunch of hunting and trapping and fishing down there uh, in the swamps of Louisiana. He's, he's a rough and tumble guy and, and, and uh, played linebacker for LSU, the, the, the Louisiana State University, for a couple seasons till he blew out his knee. And, and, I mean, he's, he's a rough and tumble guy. He said, you know, I'd never met a woman that intimidated me. He said, but then I was hunting in Iowa once. And he said, I was up there hunting in Iowa and I walked into a convenience store. I don't know if he was getting his license or filling up with gas or whatever. He said, I was buying a couple things in there. He said, there were a couple of women that were walking around in there that uh, were, were corn-fed and bigger than most men that I had been around and probably tougher than most men I had been around. And he said, for the first time in my life, a woman intimidated me. He's, he's running for his life. The Bible tells us that. Verse number 3, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Do you see that? Mountain peak experience and now a great valley. He's fleeing for his life. He knows she has the power to take his life, so he's going into hiding. And I imagine I would have done the same thing. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. He's at his wit's end doesn't know what to do. And he says, unto the Lord, it is enough. When we come to times in our life where we feel like we just can't go any further, there is something that every Christian ought to do just like Elijah did. The Bible tells us after he rests and eats for a little while, and don't you love the compassion and grace of God? He, he sees his great prophet down in the dumps now and afraid for his life and rightfully so and again I, I can't criticize Elijah. Elijah God himself comes to help him and he's off by this juniper tree and in verse number 5 as he lay and slept under a juniper tree behold then an angel touched him and said unto him arise and eat I mean an angel meets him and says here let me give you something to eat and he goes and lays down again I mean Anybody that's ever fought with discouragement or depression knows that they, they, these are some of the signs of it. Just sleeping, right? Doesn't have any will to go on. So the angel shows back up and he says again the second time in verse number 7, he touches him and says, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. Listen to the great compassion of God. He doesn't, he doesn't throw him under the bus and say, Well, you weak-minded Christian, what's wrong with you? I will defend you. Have faith. Aren't you glad we have a, a God who understands us? Who is holy and righteous and, and sinless, but still in the depths of our hardest days, 
We have a high priest who was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And because of him, he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Is everybody okay? Because our Savior came and walked on these shores, he was able to relate to us and understand us, and, 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 and he cares for us. And so he says, Rise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went into the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb. What? The Mount of God. Do you see it in verse number 8? And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of the meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Do you see that? I want to preach to you this morning on that subject, the place where we meet with God. The place where we meet with God. Dear Heavenly Father, I beg you please again for your anointing touch and power and help. I pray that you would help those that need it today. Lord, help me to do your will. I yield this time to you. I yield myself to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And amen. Elijah had seen God move in the flames when he consumed the altar. He had seen God feed him at the brook Cherith before that. He had seen God raise up the widow's son when the widow's son had passed away. He had seen God in great movements in his life. But now he's come to a place where he's down, he's discouraged. He says, it is enough. But he doesn't just stay under that juniper tree. The Bible tells us that he journeys to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. Why would he journey to Horeb, the Mount of God? God has already met with him. He sent an angel to be with him and to feed him and to help him, to give him drink and to help him rest. Why? Would Elijah then take the extra step in life to go to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God? It's clear that through Elijah's life we get a lesson about a journey that we should all take when we come to these places where we're ready to say, it's enough. Listen to me this morning, please. There will come time in all of our lives when we need a little more of God than we have in the past. And it will, all, it will not always just be enough to wait for God to come to us. Sometimes, in the hardest of days, after God has helped you a little bit and comforted you, and, and, and you know what I'm talking about. If you've been down or had trials and hardships throughout the course of your life, you know that your God has been faithful and that He has been gracious and He has come to you. I thank God for the many times when I did not have, in many ways, the will to go as far as I should have to meet with Him, that God met me where I was and came to me. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is gracious to meet us where we are? But there will come a time when as you have rested in that place long enough, now it's time for us to take a journey ourselves. We ourselves need to make a journey 
to Horeb. We need to go to the place where we meet with God. And when he gets there, he comes thither unto a cave and he lodges there. And the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? God had already come to him, but Elijah now goes on a journey that's 40 days and 40 nights to go and find God. Horeb was a special place. You see, Horeb was the place where Moses first heard the voice of God from the burning bush. When Moses fled from Egypt. It was the rock of Horeb from which God gave Israel water in the wilderness on their wilderness journey in Exodus chapter number 17. It was the place called Horeb that God called His children closer to Him after they had been free of Egypt for three months. It was the place of Horeb where God first met with Israel when He gave them His commandments. You see, Elijah knew that Mount Horeb was a place where God met with His people. And he wanted to get there. This was the same place that when Elijah feared for his life, he went on a journey. Y'all, I want to say that every now and then, we're going to have to take the extra step. We're going to have to be the one that makes the effort. Because God will meet us where we are. But there also needs to be something inside of all of us that says, alright, but that is not enough. I cannot live here. I need to be closer to Him than I am now. I need to know Him more than I do now. I need to be at His side much closer than I am now. There has to come a time when you say, you know what, it is not enough to simply wait for God to show up. I need to go to Him. And so Elijah does. I want to say first of all, when you make that journey, the place where you meet with God is a lonely place. It's a lonely place. Moses went there after he had killed a man in Egypt. Does everybody remember the story? You see, because God was starting to resurrect in him a desire for his people. Moses was raised in the house of, of Pharaoh, but he had been separated from his people. He was an Israelite himself. He was a Jew. And God begins to revive in him a desire for his own people. And he sees one of his own people being uh, hurt and and he says, you know what, I'll take care of this. And he slays an Egyptian on behalf of one of the Israelites. But then uh, some others saw him and, and said, we saw what you did and it didn't go the way he expected. And so uh, he buries the man out in the sand and he takes off running. And the Bible says that he goes to the backside of the desert. And he's there, do you know for how long? He's there for 40 years. 40 years. Now listen to me. You think there may have been a time in 40 years where Moses felt lonely? He's nowhere near his family. He's nowhere near the family that raised him in Pharaoh's house, but he's certainly nowhere near his Jewish family who's in captivity still there in Egypt. And so now he's all by himself. And yes, God gave him a wife and some children there, and he makes a life for himself there. But it was there on the backside of the desert, the place called Horeb, where God speaks to him out of a burning bush. 
Often the place where we meet with God is a lonely place. Elijah ran there when his life was threatened and he felt like he was the only one standing for God. He says in verse number 10, look at 1 Kings chapter number 19 and verse number 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You see that? It's a lonely place. He feels like he's the only one standing for God. He feels like he's the only one who knows what's right. It is a lonely place. Listen, what brought Elijah to this place where he needed to be closer to God was the fact that he felt alone. We need to understand that there can come times in the Christian life where we can feel down and all alone no matter how many people you've got around you. And we cannot afford to go running away from God in those times of our life. When you feel lonely, you need Him more now than you ever have before. Because we have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And one who said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And when you don't feel like you have anybody else that you can run to, you can run to the place where you meet with God. And there is a heavenly Father there who understands you, who loves you, and while nobody else may understand your pain, and you may feel like they're all tired of hearing about it, you have a heavenly Father who understands you and loves you. It's often a lonely place. But listen to me, please. Sometimes we have to come to a place in our lives where God is the only one that we can turn to before we are able to draw nearer to Him than we have at other times in our lives. Occasionally, God will allow us to go through certain situations so that we have to draw closer to Him. And I am pleading with you to understand this morning that if you feel lonely and you feel like nobody else is able to give you the help and comfort that you need, that sometimes God allows us to come to these places so that we see our great need for the One who understands us. So that we see our great need for the One who needs us. Please understand this. The Christian life is necessarily lonely at times. You see, because God tells us to come out from among them and be separate. He tells us to come out from the world and the worldly things and the fleshly things and be separate from all that. So you're told to separate from the worldly things and from the sinful things and be separate from all of that. And God even says in one place that, that He would, uh, when He gave His gospel to certain people, that it would divide father, and, uh, uh, father from sons and mothers from daughters and that it would divide siblings from each other. He said, look, when I have come to give you the gospel, there will be some of you that will receive the gospel and follow me as your Savior and it will divide you from your families who don't believe in me. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Sometimes... The Christian life can be a little bit of a lonely place. But listen, God knew that. He told us there would be times when the world hated us because we followed after Him. Is everybody okay? He told us there would be times where there would be no place else to turn. I'm not saying 
that we ought to live discouraged that we're lonely all the time. What I'm saying is that sometimes, every now and then, when you get lonely, you need to make a journey to God instead of waiting for Him to come to you. You need to go to Him because Horeb, for God's people, has always been a place that was a lonely place, but it was also a place where they could meet with God. It's a place where you can learn things from Him that you never would have learned except for these hard times. It's a place where you can hear things from God that you never would have heard except for these hard times. Sometimes, Mount Horeb, the place where we meet with God, is a lonely place but it's also a needful place because we can be with God like we've never been with him before secondly the place where we meet with God is a desert place it's a desert place now I want you to look at it again in verse number 8 of chapter 19 of 1st Kings And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto what? Horeb. Now the word Horeb means desert place. You mean the place where we find God is sometimes a desert place? Yes. We all come to times in our lives where things seem to be drying up. Is everybody okay? Hardships of all sorts. You get word that you're losing your job. The finances are starting to dry up. It's a desert place in life. You hear horrible words like cancer for the first time in your life. You hear things like congestive heart failure and diabetes and things that now you never had to deal with before. And you feel like, man, things aren't the way they used to be. My life is starting to dry up. You come to places in life where no matter how much you pray and how much you try to influence, your children go astray. And you've prayed and you've called and you've texted and you've You've worried and you've, you've hoped and you've dreamed and now that little one that you raised and hoped that they would live a good life and that they would love the Lord and now you find them walking away from Him and, and living in a different way than you raised them. Deserts are dry places. But every person needs to know that it is the desert places where God will still meet with His people. You see, it was in the desert place that he heard the voice of God. And listen to me. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the desert places of life, God will show Himself in miraculous ways like He did with the rock of Horeb when when He brought water from the rock and, and fed the entire nation of Israel. Sometimes God will move in mighty ways in places like Horeb. And sometimes you will hear the voice of God thundering from the top of the mountain like Moses did when he journeyed there with all the children of Israel after God had delivered them from Egypt. Matter of fact, they heard God's voice so clearly from the Mount of Horeb while they were standing there and God was giving the Ten Commandments 
uh, to Moses during that time period of Israel's journey. While they're there, that's Mount Horeb. That's the Mount of God that they're resting at. And they're hearing the voice of God in such a thundering and loud and mighty way that they become afraid of His voice. And they said, we don't even want to go near the mountain because we see the thunderings and the lightnings and we hear His thundering voice and it scares us. His voice was so loud in their lives at that point that it could not be denied. But when Elijah gets there, what kind of voice does he hear? Would you look at it, please? Look at verse number 11. And he, God, said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, and what? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out. Now wait a minute. <laughs> He's in this cave. There's a mighty wind. Elijah doesn't move. I mean, any of you are any of you prone to do this? When storms roll through, I'm the guy at the window. Anybody else that way? I love to, I love to look at the storm. I, I like to go outside and check out the clouds while they're rolling through. Is there a tornado anywhere? I cannot wait to see a tornado. In the distance. In the distance. Not above my head. I've always said, I want to see a tornado in the distance one of these days. And my wife says, what is wrong with you? I don't know. I've always wanted to see one. In the distance. In the distance. But, I mean, when mighty winds roll through, I mean, I I. I I, I would imagine, just in my own human thinking, I would think I'd at least check outside the cave. Elijah doesn't move. A great and strong wind rent the mountains, breaking pieces of the rocks before the Lord. And after the wind, an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out. Are you listening? You see, sometimes when we get to these desert places, we're, these dry times in our lives, we're, we're looking for God to move in a huge way. That's that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're expecting. And sometimes when we get into these dry places in life, we wonder if God is anywhere near. And the truth is because often we get so focused on the trials and the troubles that are going on that we really have, if we're honest with ourselves, a hard time hearing or knowing whether or not we are hearing the voice of God. But I want to say that when we get to these places where things seem to be drying up and you don't know what to do, the best thing for you to do is go seek the Lord and wait to hear His still small voice. You stay there until you hear a message from the Lord. And listen, we may want Him to move in mighty ways. We may wish that He was in all the rending of the rocks in the hills. We may wish that He was in the mighty wind. We may wish that He was in the earthquake. We may wish that He was in the fire. We may wish that God was moving in some mighty way. But the reality is, sometimes 
Horeb is a loud voice from God like it was for Israel when they fled from Egypt. And sometimes the place where we meet with God is a desert place where all you hear is a still small voice. But don't you quit in those times when all you seem to hear is that still small voice. Moses was a world away from his people and God spoke to him out of a burning bush. He didn't rend the mountains. He didn't change the hills. He simply began to speak to Moses in a simple and mighty way. Listen, please understand that during the dry times, we can focus so much on all the issues of life that our heart and mind can get clouded with too many thoughts and questions and we can miss the still small voice and presence of God. It's in these times that we can feel distant from God. But He will still speak if you will listen. Sometimes you sit down with your Bible and you feel like you haven't heard from God in so long and things are starting to get so dry in your Bible reading and your prayer, but you're doing it anyway and you read through this thing and He doesn't speak to you like He used to in those earlier days when things were going so well and you feel like, my soul, I'm, I'm pouring through the pages, Lord, but I'm not hearing you like I used to. And your presence isn't as real as it used to be. But listen to me, as you're reading through that book, did something stick in your mind, even if it's just, it's just one simple little thought that came to mind, like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But Lord, I want you to speak to me in a mighty way. I want to know you like you're sitting next to my bed. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we don't hear him like that, and we don't know him like like that. Sometimes he's that little nugget of truth that just stuck in your mind for a second when you read your Bible. And that is just as much the presence of God as it was when he was speaking in mighty ways from the mountaintop. That's just as much him. You ever get to a place where you're like, man, I haven't heard from God in so long. Let me ask you something. Are you at least seeking Him? Are you at least making some effort yourself? Because He will come to us, but there needs to come a time when things start to dry up that we need to go to Him. And in the desert place, it's a place where we can meet with God and hear that still small voice. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. If you keep your places there, we're going to come back to it. But Luke chapter 11. God teaches His disciples how to pray. He goes through what we call the Lord's Prayer for the first few verses of this chapter. And then we get into verse number 5. And He kind of, he kind of tells them a story afterwards. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, I mean, if one of my friends came and knocked on my door at midnight asking for bread, I'd probably send him off. What is wrong with you? Verse number 7, And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, 
Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. What does that importunity mean? Uh, it means persistence. It means, well, if he doesn't get up and, 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 and come and give you a loaf of bread the first time, he will if you keep knocking because he's not going to get any sleep. He's talking about continuing to ask him for things. Verse number 9, And I say unto you, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. God does tell us sometimes we need to make the effort. Yes? Ask, seek, and knock. Yes? For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, he's saying, you know, if, if, if you humans, having a sinful nature that dwells in you, and, and you're not perfect yet with a glorified body, if ye then that are living in this sinful flesh still know how to love your children enough to not give them uh, uh, a stone when they ask for bread, because you care for them, right? He says, so if, if those of us that have tainted flesh that we live in, ask God for, or, 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 or excuse me, ask our, uh, or give to our children these things when they ask us. If ye then, verse number 13, being evil, know how to, have, how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now wait a minute, what did He just say? But wait, weren't we asking for breads and fish and isn't that what we were asking for? Now, if you look at this passage in the book of Matthew, he, he essentially says, well, I'll give you what you ask for. If you need bread, I'll give you bread. If you need... But in this case, he says something different. He, sh he says, how much more shall any of you, if you ask of your heavenly Father, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that what? Now, wait a minute. We weren't talking about the Holy Spirit. The reason we read that entire passage is because I wanted you to see what we were talking about. What were we talking about? We were talking about our needs. We were talking about asking God for our, for, for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Is everybody okay? That's what he just taught us in the first four verses of this passage. But then he says, I want you to understand something. There may come times, and this is what I believe God is saying, when we think what we need from God, when we have great need of something, is we think we need bread. Or we think we need a fish. We need some kind of provision in our life where we need God to meet our need in a dry time of our lives. And he said, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the what? the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Every now and then, I believe there comes a time in our lives where God is saying, look, you're asking me for this, but here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you my still small voice, and that's what you really need. Sometimes we think we know what we need from God in the dry times and the things that we really need is a closeness with God and the fullness of His Spirit and the presence of His Spirit. It's not that we don't have need of those other things, but that God knows that our greatest need is closeness with Him. Is everybody okay? This is what Elijah, or Elijah found at Mount Horeb. Listen, the place where we meet with God, it's a lonely place. It's a desert place, and I'll hasten. I want to say also that it's a healing place. Go back there to your, your, your Bibles and look at it again. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19 and look what, look what happens here. 
And the angel of the Lord came again the second time in verse number 7 and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. God was compassionate and gentle and kind, and He helped Elijah heal for the next steps in his life. It was there that God healed and prepared Moses for his leading of Israel out of Egypt. And it was in this same place that God healed his entire nation when they had been in bondage in Egypt for all of those years. And it's in this same place that God heals Elijah and makes him ready for the next steps in his life. Now you listen to me. Often when we come to a place where we have to journey for uh, to find God in a desert place or in a lonely place, you need to understand that at the feet of God is a healing place. And God can prepare you for next steps in your life that you never could have been prepared for if it hadn't been for this place where you met with God. We don't always like these times. But the reality is that most of the time, what God is doing is He is healing things in us that we didn't know were broken, and He can bring us to a place where He can fill gaps and fill voids and help find places in us and reveal places in us that need to be filled by the presence and power of God. And as He does that, you will find a relationship and a walk with God that will be so much more precious and so much deeper that will get you to the next steps that God has for you in your life. I want to say fourth. It's a preparation place. It was a healing time, and it was a preparation time for the next steps in God's will for both Moses and Elijah. What does Moses do after he finds himself on the backside of the desert for 40 years at Horeb? What does he do? He meets with God. He hears the voice of God out of the burning bush. God begins to heal him from his mistake that he had made in the past and begins to prepare him to go on and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. It was a preparation place for Moses. Is everybody okay? It was a preparation place for Israel as He gave them the commandments and began to prepare them to go into the promised land. It was a preparation place for Elijah. Listen to me. It is not the end. There's much more that God wants to do with you after this. After this time in Elijah's life, he goes on from here and what does he do? He appoints a new king. He takes on a disciple known as Elisha who ministers to him and learns from him. He preaches to Ahab again after he runs from Ahab to Jezebel. Then God gives him boldness again and gives him a message again. And he goes back and he preaches to Ahab and declares prophetic judgment against him and Jezebel. And he says, look, because of the wickedness of your wife and because of the wickedness of your actions, there's going to come a day when the dogs are going to lick up the blood of your wife. That's a really bold message to preach for a guy who was just... Uh, just under a juniper tree saying it is enough. Is everybody okay? And now he's going to the same man that he was fleeing for his life from with renewed boldness and a renewed vision and a renewed message and he's saying, God's coming for you. It's a preparation place. He preaches judgment to the king of Samaria. God sends fire to consume two captains of 50 to confirm that Elijah is his man. He smites the waters with his mantle and they part. He goes up in a whirlwind into heaven. He passes his mantle on to the next generation. God was anything but done with Elijah at this point. Yeah, the place where we meet with God can be a desert place and it can be a lonely place. But it's also a preparation place for what God has for us again. 
Listen to me this morning, Christian. Don't you give up on whatever it is in life just because things are drying up and you're starting to feel lonely. The reality is that this is a place where you can meet with God, where He can heal you and He can prepare you for even better things in the future. So you hang on and you stay close and you rely upon the One who can fix all those problems and you continue to lean upon the One who has power above all of our issues and you trust in Him no matter what His answer is and He will bring you through. The place where we meet with God. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please help Your people this morning. As only You can. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody that's lost and on their way to hell, that You would continue to draw them through the power of Your Holy Spirit to that point of salvation. How many would say this morning,